a great example of somebody who looked at Jesus and, and investigated everything thoroughly, and now he's presenting the case for us to be able to understand who Jesus is and that when he makes the claims that he made, we can actually believe in the claims of Jesus. And so we've kind of come all the way through where we are, and we looked at the birth of Jesus last week and, and, and the angels and all of that. But today we're looking at, at something very important, and it's often probably overlooked in, in the birth of Jesus or in the early parts of Jesus' life, and, and that is Simeon and Anna. And I know, I mean, I'm, I remember reading it, but I don't know that I ever really dug into it or investigated it like Luke uh, has presented it for us. But remember, Luke only has so much space, and so he's included everything in here for a reason. So everything has a purpose. It's not just trying to fill up a word count like you would if you were maybe writing a book today, but he's actually thought through and presented his argument very carefully. And so we have to make sure that when we look at it, we don't just, we don't just go over things, but we actually stop and say, why is this here? Why did Luke include this and the story of Jesus. A couple of points I want to make out as we look at this. First, we can, we can learn about Mary and Joseph and kind of their, their social status through this because of the sacrifice that they made. They gave a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Um, and that was, the, that was the sacrifice that was required for those who ha- would have lower income than others who would, would sacrifice a lamb or something that cost more. And so, so we can understand that Mary and Joseph were probably poor or, or in, the, in a lower income class than others in their area. And so here I think the reason that's important, and I think probably the reason Luke included that, is to, to remind us that God is using the lowly. Just like we've seen all the way through up until this point, God is using the, the lowly. He's choosing the lowliest in the society to come and introduce not only the Savior, but to prepare the way for us to receive the Savior. And that's what we saw last week with the shepherds and the angels coming to the shepherds and, and, uh, and, the, and, the, and being born in a stable instead of being born in an inn and all of those things. So it's a theme that's going to continue out uh, through Luke as we study that. God is coming to the lowly and introducing himself to the lowly, not the most righteous, not the, not the richest people, but the lowly. Well, there's another important thing that is going on here, and that is in Deuteronomy chapter 19, we find this verse. This goes way back, way back in, in the history of the Old Testament when God was giving the law. But here we have this verse, Deuteronomy 19.15, says, One witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offense they may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And this, this phrase, a matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses, is, is a, a, a modus operandi of, of how they're going to do things throughout the rest of Scripture, even throughout the New Testament. And we see Paul reference this in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter, 1 or 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, where he's going to reference this, this idea that, that something has to be, be validated by a couple of witnesses. And that's what's taking place here. We have, we have Simeon and Anna who are coming in to validate that Jesus, this boy that has come into the temple that they're presenting the sacrifice for, is the one that has been awaited. There's some interesting things that come up here in this. You know, first, Simeon. Simeon is old. He's been around for a long time. And that should sound familiar because it's, it's similar to Zechariah and him being old. And then we have Anna, who what we learn about her is she was married. 
She was with her husband for seven years, and then her husband died, and then she has been without him for like 84 years or something like that. She's been without a husband for a long time. She could be a really, really old woman, and the same phrase that was used of, uh, of um, Elizabeth is used of Anna. Sorry, it took me for a minute to get all the way back to the beginning. It feels like a long time ago, but... Um, is that she's, she's old, and she's, the, the phrase is, she's used up. She's not, you know, she's a bag of bones. You know, there's not, not a whole lot left to her. But she prophesied as well, two or three witnesses. And you think about this, this is true in life, right? I mean, you don't always believe something when you just hear somebody say it. You, you want some validation. For instance, um, I may or may not have flooded part of our garage last night. Now, um, it was about 10.30 when I went out and I discovered, see, there's, there's you know, the little utility sink next to the washer, and um, the, the trap underneath it had frozen the winter before, and so it was leaking, just had kind of a slow leak, and so I took that trap off, ironically, I took that trap off so that I could bring it in with me today to be able to go to Home Depot on the way home and get that, but I left it sitting in the garage this morning, so all of this was for naught. But um, I took it off so that I could bring it in, and then I left the, the end uncovered and, you know, kind of looked at the layout of things, and I knew the kids had to take some showers, and, but I could figure out, well, the, the, the drain of the shower is lower than this drain, so we should be good, but I didn't tell my wife about it, and so she did some laundry, and the drain of the washer has, sits above the drain, and so the, when the washer drained, all of that water so nicely and politely came out. But at 10.30, between 10.30 and 11.30, I went out, and I got the shop back, and I cleaned it all up, and you know, then I got the mop, and I mopped up all the rest of the mess, and I moved the washer and dryer and took care of everything you know, so that there would be no mess, and so no one saw it. So did it really flood or not? Nobody really knows. There are, there are, there are no witnesses to, to be able to prove that I actually flooded the garage. And so if you claim that I flooded the garage, you're, you're just, that's just hearsay. You don't really know if I flooded the garage. The only thing you'd be able to say is, well, the garage is cleaner this morning than it was last night, but maybe I was just feeling generous, and maybe I just felt nice, and so I decided I was going to go out and clean the garage before... I went to bed last night because I had that extra hour because we had the time changes. I'm going to make the most of this hour. I'm going to clean the garage and be nice. But we don't know. We don't know, do we? Because no one was there to witness what had taken place. You could guess by some of the evidence like the saturated rugs that are sitting in the sink waiting to be washed once everything's put back together. But, but you wouldn't really, wouldn't really know. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And this is what's, what, what Luke is going to do several times throughout, throughout the gospel that he's sharing. He's going he's to have two or three witnesses several different times pointing to Jesus and establishing that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. So it's important to look for that as we look because it's validation that Jesus is who he says that he is. And that's the whole point of what we're going through here in Luke. I want to dig into to Simeon's uh, praise just a little bit. Uh, verse 29 of Luke chapter 22. If you have, have your Bible, you can turn there. But this is Simeon's praise. As, as, he's, you know, as he heard from the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he saw uh, the Messiah. And you think about this, you know, it, the, only, the only correlation between Simeon 
And what we can understand today is the people with the end of the world signs out on the street. Because the Messiah was, was prophesied, you know, a thousand years prior to this day. And here Simeon is saying, you know, he's saying, I'm going to see the Messiah before I die. Most of us would probably, probably be like probably what most of the people were in that day. <laughs> Look at this crazy old guy. <laughs> he thinks the Messiah is going to come. Isn't that cute? You know, it's like, it's like people that think, you know, people that talk about the end of the world. You know, look at, the, look at those wackos out there with their signs. You know, like the movie 2012. I think this is part of my reason for why I like Armageddon, you know, end of the apocalyptic kind of movies is because of what we're talking about today. And that's the spiritual reason I'm going to give so that I sound more spiritual to you and you don't judge me for liking movies like 2012. <clears throat> But, you know, there's, the, there's that quote in the, in the movie 2012 where he says, isn't it crazy to think that the religious nut jobs had it right all along, that the end actually is near? You know, it, it's, kind of the, it's kind of the equivalent of, of what Simeon would be perceived as because it's been a long time since the Messiah had been promised and they're waiting and waiting for this promise to come to pass. And, and sure enough, he's right. Verse 29 Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And I want to focus in on this line, the second part of verse 29 where he says, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. You may now dismiss your servant in peace. I think there's, there's a lot that we could learn from, from these verses. There's a lot we could dig into. And uh, there's a lot of teaching online. If you want to go dig deeper, um, I could point you to some of those to really get a real deep understanding of these verses because there is so much. But I just want to focus in on this phrase for the rest of our time this morning. You may now dismiss your servant and peace. This thing that had been promised has now been fulfilled, and he is at peace. He can be dismissed in peace. Would that be, would that be true of us today? Would, would we be able to say that, that we could be dismissed in peace? We are at peace. That's why I was asking all those questions. You know, have, we, have we lived the kind of life that we've been called to live? Have we loved the people the way that we've called to love? Have we forgiven people as we have been forgiven? Have we shined the light of Jesus Christ so that the world knows that he is, in fact, the Savior who has come to redeem the lost, the Gentiles? That's us, as, as he mentions here. Have we done those things? Would we be able to, right now at this moment in our lives, be able to say, your servant is at peace. You may now dismiss me. I, I, I am at peace. And I think if we're really, all of us truly being honest, we'd probably say, no. I'm not at peace. I, I'm, not, I'm not ready to die. <laughs> I mean, theoretically, you know, my faith is in Jesus Christ and I'm ready to die today. If I, you know, if I were to get hit by a bus on the way home, you know, I'd, I'd be standing with Jesus. You know, I'm good, I'm assured of my salvation. But, but what about the life, what about the purpose for which I've been placed here? Have, have I lived that out or, or am I still waiting. And I think what we're getting into is, is this contrast between our spirit and our flesh. 
But I think a lot of us, when we come here on Sunday morning, myself included, when we come here on Sunday morning, our spirit says yes, right? Our spirit says, yes, I want to live that way. I, I want a life that looks like that. I want a, a life that, that shines brightly, the light of Jesus Christ. And, and our spirit resonates with that. And, and our spirit, you know, maybe even to a point of being overwhelmed and overflowing with joy, says, I want to live this way. I want to live for Christ. But then something happens between when we leave these doors and we open up the door of our car, or when we open up the door of our house, or when we open up the door of our workplace on Monday morning, that, that all of a sudden this, this spirit desire that we had has overtaken by something, and that is probably our flesh. Matthew chapter 26, verse 40, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. This is the night before he's going to go and be crucified. This is right after the Lord's Supper, and he's gone off to pray, and you know, he goes off with the 12, and then he tells nine of them to stay and takes the three closest ones with him, and, and, and they go off, and, and he says, keep watch here while I go off and pray, and he goes off for an hour or so to pray, and then he returned, verse 40 says, he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. And we can understand, right? I mean, you know, if, you, if you've read the accounts of this last day for the disciples, it's overwhelming. It truly is overwhelming. It starts off with Jesus telling the disciples to go into town, find this guy. He's got a room that he's going to let us have where we can celebrate the upper room. And then, and then they go and they prepare everything. So they prepare this whole meal that they're supposed to share together for the, what's called the Passover meal, the, the Seder meal. And they go in and they share this whole meal together. And then as a part of this meal, Jesus washes the disciples' feet and then he teaches them. And that's what John chapter 13 through John chapter uh, 16 is. It's, it's a recounting by John of what Jesus was teaching in this upper room. It's, it's a lot of material and it's not just simple, you know, you're an awesome person and I love you because you're, you know, you're my disciples. There's, there's a lot of content. And so you imagine it's easy to feel, you know, if you've had one of those days where you've just, you've been consuming a lot of information, you've been reading, you've been studying studying, you know, you've been cramming for exams, whatever those things are, and you, your mind just kind of feels fried, right? It's like, I cannot possibly take in another ounce of information. And then after, after the meal, they go and they pray. And there's this whole thing going on that they, that they don't understand. Jesus has just told them, I'm making a new covenant with you, this covenant that you've been practicing for your whole lives and that your ancestors have practiced for thousands of years. I'm changing it right now. You don't understand it. You won't understand it until later. But, but you know, their minds are probably just kind of exhausted. And so we understand, you know, uh, yeah, if we were in that same situation and we're out in this nice, peaceful, quiet garden with the with the night sounds all around us and just kind of a, you know, kind of a, a brisk, warm evening and the cool of the grass and, you know, you lay down and you intend to stay awake, but just can't. Jesus says, couldn't, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? Who did he ask? He asked Peter. Peter Peter's the guy that, that Jesus picks on the most, and Peter needs it. It's, it's for good cause. And Jesus says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I 
Our spirit has this desire to want to, to want to serve Christ with our lives, but then our flesh maybe comes up short and leads us off track one way or another. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We've talked about this a couple of times, but it's really important to bring back in to this conversation. Romans chapter 8, verse 19 says, For the creation waits in eager expectation. Creation, like we were talking about, creation is longing for its creator. Creation is pointing to and, 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 and expecting the creator. The, the, the gap that exists between creation and the creator is there for a reason. It's to draw us in and to want more, to, to draw us closer to God. There's an expectation for a reason. The creation waits an eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed, and that is us. Creation is waiting for us to be Revealed. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. So it's talking, going all the way back to the fall. Creation was subjected to frustration. The, the created world around us is frustrated. It's obviously frustrated. It's not you know, working in a cohesive manner. It's frustrated, and not by its own choice, but God frustrated it as a result of the disobedience of Adam and Eve. But why? In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So our calling as followers of Jesus Christ is to to be able to step into the frustration and bring peace. We are instruments of God's peace. We're We're actually bringing liberation to those that are trapped. Verse 22 says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning, so we understand that concept, right? The whole earth is groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time, longing for the children of God. But listen to this, verse 23, not only so, not only has creation been groaning, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So not only is creation longing and groaning and waiting, but we ourselves who have the first fruits, the, the Holy Spirit is living in us. We, we have the presence of the Almighty God dwelling in us because we've put our faith in Jesus Christ. We too groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. I want to keep going. I'll talk about this in just a minute. Second Corinthians chapter 5, some more from Paul to talk about this. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1 says, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, so he's talking about our bodies. He's going to refer to our bodies as this earthly tent that we live in. So our spirit and our flesh are two separate things, and our spirit is dwelling in our body, which is this earthly tent. Paul says, We know that if the earthly tent will be destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. So there's this longing, there's this, there's this something that's still out there that, that is better than, than what we have right now. Meanwhile, verse 2, we groan, 
longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Our, our longing is that, is that we, we, we eagerly anticipate, we are, we're waiting for the day that we will be clothed in this, in this eternal house that God has built for us that hasn't been built by our hands but has been built by God or by who knows how God has built it. That's not clear in this text. But we groan. Meanwhile, what we are clothed, we will not be found naked, For while we are in this tent, this earthly body, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed and instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. And that's starting starting to get to where we're going. What is mortal, we're we're groaning and longing so that what is mortal about us may be swallowed up by the eternal life that is in God. Now, the one who fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. We have a deposit. We have, we have something that shows that the promise that he's made is actually going to come to pass. There, there is proof in us that the promises he made is going to come to fruition in our future, and we long for that, right? We, we, we want to long for that. One more, Hebrews chapter 10. We've talked about this, too. Verse 19 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, Christ's body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, that is Jesus Christ himself, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. The full assurance that faith brings. This is, this is the, how we're supposed to be living our lives. We're not supposed to live in fear. We're supposed to live in peace because we have the full assurance that, that God's promises are true. And we can live in that assurance because of the faith. Our faith is not in ourselves, but our faith is in God. And our hearts have been sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. We have, we have been cleansed. We have been forgiven. That is why we forgive and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Unswervingly. Nothing should come along that knocks us off the course of hope. Nothing should come along that knocks us off the rails of hope. We, we hold unswervingly to this hope that we professed. Why? Not because we are so strong and able, but because he who promised is faithful. Our hope is not in us and our ability to hold on to hope. Our hope is in God who has already established the hope for us. That is where our hope lies. And then what? Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Sometimes we all need a little spurring, don't we? Spur one another on. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. That's why we're so committed to, to meeting together as a body that, that it's, it's, not just, it's not just, you know, because we want to have people here on Sunday so it feels good to us, but, but, it's, but it's important that we meet together that, that all of those who are washed in the blood of the Lamb come together, that all those who are, are filled with the same Spirit come together and, and worship the same God as one voice. Don't give up meeting together. It's important that we understand. 
we need to meet together and encourage one another. And how does he end this whole, this whole, this whole phrase, this whole paragraph of telling us what to do and what not to do? He says, all the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, as, as the day continues to draw nearer to us, our intensity should increase. As we get closer to the day, as we get closer to that day, you know, the day is talking about the day that we either see Jesus face to face after we've passed on or talking about really the day here is the day of his return and, and Jesus' triumphant entry where he comes back and the whole world sees he comes back as the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords, that time when, when you'll either bow because you have chosen to worship him or you will bow because you're being forced to worship him, that, that day that we don't know when it is, that day that's just out there in the future that day the more all the more as you see the day approaching continue to do these things continue to do these things continue don't don't let it kind of be swallowed up don't don't let it be don't let it be something that just kind of disappears because it hasn't happened yet but but wait for it eagerly and and and, and anticipate it and, and keep hoping that that it's going to come And I think just like we talked about how, how creation itself points to the Savior. You know, we talked about last week when we go out in creation and we stand in the created world and, and we're surrounded by God's creation, how we kind of have this, this stirring in our soul that we can't really describe and explain that, that the point of that is, to, is not so that we can just kind of feel lost, but is to, to make, us, make us want to long for the one who's behind the creation, not just worship the created things themselves. I think that is exactly the same thing that is taking place here in, in our longing for that day. Is that, th that day, that day kind of creates this, this, this longing in us, right? That it creates this, this unsettled nature about us that, that I know that there's, that there's a day coming and, and there's a day that's going to be here. I don't know when it's going to be, but, but I hope that it's soon, right? That's what we, we kind of hope. We hope it's going to be sooner rather than later. And, and that day is coming and it's supposed to create this unsettled feeling in us so that we're driven to want to pursue and live out the things of Christ more and more, all the more as we see the day approaching. The question is, 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 that, is that really what's taking place in us? Or are we kind of more like Frank? Pastor, don't stress me out about that day. Don't send me out of here uneasy, feeling like that day is coming, like the end is near. I don't need that kind of stress in my life. Even Frank talked about the end being near. And now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway, but more, much more than this, I did it my way. Regrets, I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do, and I saw it through without exemption. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway, and more, much more than this, I did it my way. 
Yes, there were times, I'm sure you knew, when I bit off more than I could chew, but through it all, when there was doubt, I ate it up and I spit it out. I faced it all and I stood tall and did it my way. I've loved, I've laughed and cried, I've had my fill, my share of losing, and now as tears subside, I find it all so amusing to find that I did all that, and may I say, not in a shy way, oh no, no, not me, I, I did it my way. For what is a man? What is he God if not himself? Then he has not to say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. I know it's an old song, but, but it's the sentiment of the song that continues to echo throughout our, all of our modern era. It's, it's all about me, right? It's all about doing it my way. And, and that's the thing that we're kind of up against in the church is that, that we, we've got this, this cultural pressure, this cultural force that says it's all about you, all about your desires. It's all about making sure that you feel how you want to feel and that you get the things that you want out of life. And that when you don't like something, you have the right to say that you don't want to have to do that, that, that it's, it's not my responsibility. Someone else is going to have to do that. I, I'm just going to do what I want, and I'm going to get to the end of my life, and I'm going to have done it my way. And we kind of we stand like, like you hear from, this, from the lyrics of Frank's song. We just kind of stand with, with pride and hubris in our, in, our, in our stature and in our egos and say, it's, I'm doing it my way. But as we've learned already in the book of Luke, God isn't... God isn't looking for the people who want to do it their way. He's looking for the people who are humble, people who will lay down their lives, people, the lowly, the the ones that are willing to say, no, let's do it your way. That's what we see in Simeon. He He was someone that lived his life in response to the message that he had received, and, and he was faithful to it, even though it probably cost him dearly. Anna spent her whole time in the temple, worshiping and praising God, and she sacrificed you know, everything that, that maybe she could have gotten had she gotten remarried, or who knows. You may now dismiss your servant in peace. What's the point in all this? I'm going to wrap up. We're just about done. I think we have a calling as followers of Jesus Christ to live with the day in mind. All the more, these are the words we see in the scriptures we just read. So all the more as you see the day approaching. All the more, more every day, live with the day in mind. Live with eager expectation. That was a phrase it's also a phrase, await eagerly our adoption to sonship. Our, our full and complete adoption is the not yet. That's the day that we're longing for. We're, we're still not there yet. We're going through this process that we call sanctification, being set apart and made holy for God's purposes. And, and we're still in this process. And some of us, probably truth be told, are growing weary in the process. We're, we're just ready for that day. And 
but it's not coming soon enough. We need to await eagerly our adoption to sonship and let that day drive us in our pursuits and today that, that the way we're living today is because of the day that's ahead. What's to come? Hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. See, in the, in the kingdom of God, there is no doing it my way. There, there's his way. It's only his way. We need to learn that. We need to make sure that we truly understand that. We don't get to come to God on our own terms, and we don't get to come to God and say, okay, uh, you know, I understand you kind of have these expectations of me, and, but I, I have my own, and so let's sit down at the table, and let's, let's barter a little bit and see if we can kind of meet in the middle. There is no meeting in the middle with God. There's his way or there's no way. It's like, and so that's one of the things that I hear on a, on a pretty regular basis when I'm talking to those who are outside the faith is that, is that I, you know, I worship God, I, I do God in my own way. Some, some people who are really close to me have, have said that to me. It's like, you know, you know, I, you know, I worship God, I just do it in my way. And that's this theme that kind of permeates our culture. It's like, well, I, I don't need to go to church. I'm going to do God in my way. I, I don't need to be committed to a community. I'm going to do it in my way. I don't need to care for my family. I'm going to do it my way. I don't need to serve people around me. I don't need to love others as myself. I, I don't need to do any of that because I'm going to do it my way. But in the kingdom of God, there is no my way. It's God's way or there's no way. We don't come to God on our terms. We come to God on his terms. Why? Why, why is God this way? Because we know how we are, right? We know if it was on us, we'd all be up a creek without a paddle. The reason we come to God on, our ter- on, on his terms, not our terms, is because he is the one that holds the hope for us. He's the one that's out there at that day. He's the the one that's drawing us and and pulling us and and luring us and wooing us into more of him so that we can, on that day, have the fullness of his hope. He's the one that's out there. He's holding that day. That's why we come to God on his terms, because he is not only where the hope is, but he is the hope. And as our hope in that day that God is going to make our hope no longer something that we hope for, but something that is in front of our faces? Or is it in our own ability to provide for our future, to provide for the destiny we want to achieve? Would we be able to say, like Simeon said, that you may now dismiss your servant in peace? Or would you say, I've still got too much to live for? I'm not ready to go yet. God, don't take me tomorrow. I've got too much still today. When the talk of that day comes up, how do we respond in fear or in peace? God uses the lowly for a reason. He uses the humble for a reason because God is going to use people who aren't going to do it their way. God's going to use people who are going to do it his way. The lowly don't have their hopes set on their ability to, to, to thrive and succeed. Their hopes are set on God and what he's going to provide in the day that's coming. The proud and the haughty and the arrogant are filled up with themselves, doing it my way today. My question for us this morning is, are you living with that day in mind? 
Are you living today as if that day is tomorrow? What would you do differently today if you knew that tomorrow was that day? And my last question is, what's keeping you from living that way today? Would you stand? bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're here this morning and you would say, I've been doing it my way and I'm ready to stop doing it my way. I'm ready to start doing it his way. I'm ready to lay down my way. I'm ready to to give that up and surrender that. I'm ready to lay down my pride and, and, and walk lowly with God. And, but you say, you know, I, I, haven't, I haven't been living like tomorrow was that day. I haven't been living with that day in mind. I've been living with me in mind. I've been living with my desires in mind, not God's desires. I, I just haven't been living with that day in mind. And certainly not all the more as I see that day approaching. I've just kind of gotten used to it. I Maybe I don't even believe it anymore. I don't know. Maybe I don't even think that he's coming. If you're here and, and you'd like me to pray for you, if we can pray for you that you want to start living with that day in mind. You want to start living with that day in mind and all the more as you see that day approaching. Would you raise your hand? I just want to pray for you. A couple of hands have gone up. Heavenly Father, we know that you are active in this place, that we are gathered here in your name, and that it is your spirit that stirs in our souls, that it's not my words, that it is you that speaks. We know that it is you because not only do you speak to us, but, but you change us in these moments. We know because we don't only hear the audible words that are spoken, but we hear what you are telling us in our hearts and our minds that isn't always the same thing that's being said or sung. We know that you move in us and that, and that, you, that you are stirring in us and that you have our best at mind, that, that you are working everything out for our good, that whether good or bad, whether easy or hard, that you have our good in mind and that is the promise that that you are working all of those things for our good if we'll trust you. And you've made so many promises. Yet for myself and many of us, there's just so much about this world that, that, that draws us away from you. There's so much about this world that entices us to, to pursue the world instead of pursuing you, to pursue ourselves and our own desires instead of pursuing you and for that, Father, we, can, we, we confess that we've wronged you, that we need to repent of that behavior. We need to turn away from that and turn once again towards you. Father, we ask for your forgiveness. Not only that we receive forgiveness, but that you fill us up with forgiveness so that we may be forgiving people and forgive those 
in our lives the way you've forgiven us. And Father, I pray, stir in our hearts, stir deep in our hearts in an, in an unchanging way, stir in our hearts in a way like we have never experienced before. Create in us, stir in us a longing for that day that, 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 that we start to change our perspective from the survival and, and getting what we want in the here and now and we start to look out towards the future of what you have planned for us, what you have planned for this world and the role you want us to play in bringing this world to you. Father, stir deeply in our hearts a, a desire to live for that day because we know that that day is the day that our hope will be realized, that we're no longer hoping for something that is still out in the future, but on that day we will experience face-to-face -face our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. On that day we will experience the God who created everything, that created us all to draw us and point us to him, that, that this thing that has been filled us with longing and, and, and desire is now realized face-to-face. Father, stir in our hearts for that day. And, and I pray, Father, that, that as we leave this place and as we go into our week this week, that, that you would keep that day in front of us. Remind us in whatever way it takes to remind us that, that we would live today and that we would live tomorrow as though it's our last, as though we need to love those who are around us as best we can because it might be our last day. We need to, we need to live Christ in front of those who don't yet know because it might be the last day that we can, that we need to, that we need to do good deeds and to shine brightly the light of the hope of the salvation of those who are lost because it might be the last day that we can and that, that we need to do whatever it takes to reach those who are outside of your kingdom because it might be the last day that we can and we need to do the, the, the commands you've given us of loving you and loving others as best we can because it might be the last day that we can. Father, give us per a perspective of that day and don't let us stray from it. Keep us on the track. Keep us on the track of the hope that you have for us and let that hope drive us not only in our lives but in the way we live our lives for the hope of the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.